Good morning, and welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Please stand for the call to worship. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day in which we gather together as your body to worship you. Thank you for your love, your forgiveness, and your salvation. Grant that we may have open hearts and minds to hear what you would have to say to us today. In this time of worship, let everything that we say and do be honoring and glorifying to you. In your holy name, amen.
Amen. Pray that's our prayer. I want to give you a moment to uh, share a word of greeting, a word of peace and grace to others who are here in worship, with others who are here in worship today. with a shoebox gift and then the greatest journey is just about to start it's this unique 12 lesson discipleship program that teaches children about the bible and jesus christ in more than 60 languages in 75 countries it's an opportunity really for children to lay a firm foundation for a life and faith set on their savior Kids learn that they're new creations in Jesus Christ, that God saves them from their sins forever. They memorize Bible verses and learn how to follow them each day. They even learn to share their faith in Christ with others. And then, children receive a Bible in their own language when they graduate from this unique discipleship experience. And for hundreds of thousands of children around the world... The adventure of faith in Christ is just beginning. And that is the greatest journey. This is uh, one of the parts of the ministry of Operation Christmas Child. Today is the last day to uh, turn in your boxes. Uh, you can turn them, bring them to the church anytime uh, throughout today. There's a table in the community room for you, or you can drop them off by the church offices. We will take them to the distribution center uh, tomorrow, I believe, and uh, then on to the next places. And we're praying that God will use these simple boxes to do something profound, not only in the lives of children, but in families and and whole communities as they uh, receive this gift from us and many others. Tonight at 5 o'clock, our children's choir is uh, doing a presentation called The Music Machine. That's what this big box here is about and why things look a little different up here. I'm told there's there's going to be stuff coming out of this machine as it goes through the night. I don't know what that means exactly, but I think it'll be fun and interesting. And the whole musical is about the fruit of the Spirit, which we've been talking about for the last couple of months. So please come back tonight, 5 o'clock, and uh, enjoy this uh, performance and ministry through our children's choir this evening. Uh, Next Sunday morning is our annual food collection to help restock our food pantry. There is an insert in your bulletin that gives you an idea of things that are necessary for the food pantry. We have been helping a lot of people lately. In fact, I think just in the last two weeks, we've helped nine families, represents more than 50 people. And uh, that's just a a slice of the many, many people we've been helping. So uh, we, we can use your support and help and thank you for all that you've done in the past and for what you'll be able to do next week. You just bring them with you to church on Sunday, and we will stack up things here in front. Uh, this is the last week of our three-week prayer vigil. Let me encourage you, if you haven't yet had uh, an hour in the prayer room, to, uh, to do that this week. You can sign up this morning before you leave in the back foyer or anytime online at the church website. Uh, it, it's a powerful experience to, to be there. You can come by yourself, couple, family. I know some of the sports teams have come together. Some dorm groups have come. And uh, just to be a part of setting aside time for an hour or some more, uh, just to think about God together, to pray, to listen. So let me encourage you, if you haven't yet, come to the prayer room to do so. If you have come, sign up for another hour and, and come back in this final week of us doing this. Uh, next Sunday evening at 5, 
We will conclude the prayer vigil. We will, we've got a couple things going on next week. We will begin here in the sanctuary of time of singing and sharing, just talking to one another about what God's doing in our lives. And then we will go to the community room uh, around 5.30 or so, and we're going to have what we're calling a fruit potluck. Uh, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, what else would we do, right? So we want to encourage you, if you can, to bring a dish with includes one of the fruit that we've been talking about, or actually any kind of fruit would be all right. Uh, anything you want to bring, we'll just share together, and it's a time of fellowship as uh, we meet together in the community room next week. So we invite you to be a part of that and hope you will. Uh, on Sunday, December 8th, that evening, we are going to be celebrating the sacrament of baptism. Some of you have already talked to me about your desire to be baptized. If you haven't yet and you would like to, let me know uh, this week as we are preparing classes to, for people who will be baptized on that night. Lots of prayer concerns in the bulletin, things related to our lives and the world. Certainly want to continue to pray for the Philippines and uh, the great tragedy there, as well as other circumstances in our lives and in our world. Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. As we come to God together, let us pray. Heavenly Father, We confess that we are enamored with ourselves. We fight for rights that are primarily for us rather than others. We work diligently to gain more and more for ourselves when we see so many who have so little. We are typically far more interested in being served than in serving. Forgive us for the self-centered spirit that drives us. Open our hearts to Christ that we might be more interested in giving than receiving, more interested in submitting than controlling. Through Christ's mercy, we claim the pardon you offer us, that when we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive us our sins. Amen.
This morning's Old Testament reading is from Genesis 3, 1 to 13, and I'll be reading in the English Standard Version. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand to sing the Gloria Patri as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings.
God calls us to the privilege and the blessing of prayer. As we offer our prayers today, if you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you pray, please come and join me. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks today for calling us to come into your presence, to respond to your grace, pour out our hearts, to listen to you as you speak into our lives. We come today with numerous and various concerns, burdens, struggles, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers. We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers of, for healing, for comfort, for restoration, for the many things that are directly connected to our lives. We also thank you for hearing our prayers for the world. We ask for your anointing on these shoeboxes, just simple gifts. Do something powerful through them. That people would come to know you and trust in you and see their lives transformed. Father, we thank you for the, the uh, work you are doing in the Philippines. Such a tragedy. So much devastation and death and loss. It's difficult for us to truly comprehend Minister your presence among the people there. Let your people be a light in the darkness and and a presence of hope in the midst of overwhelming despair. And help us, Father, to see clearly how we might be involved in helping others. We thank you for the opportunities of these intense times of prayer together. Thank you for the ways you've worked in us individually and corporately. And we pray that in this final week, you will continue to work miraculously. Pour out your blessing and your grace. Speak into our lives. Assure us of your mercy. Transform us. Father, we come today to acknowledge that your son came into the world to destroy the works of the evil one and to make us your children, heirs of eternal life. In this hope of Christ, purify us as he is pure. 
So that when he comes again with power and glory, we will be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom. And as a sign of our unity in prayer, we now join our hearts and our voices in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand in the centuries-old tradition of the church for the reading of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God nothing is impossible, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. Many of you know, or some of you might know about a study that was done a number of years ago. I think it was at the University of Stanford, and it's called the Marshmallow Test. You know, it's a, um, take little children, three, four, five, maybe six years old, put them in a room by themselves, and uh, put a little plate in front of them with a marshmallow on it. And you tell them, look, I'm going to be back in 15 minutes. If you don't eat the marshmallow when I come back, I'll give you a second one. And then they watch from a one-way mirror what the children do. Two-thirds of the children eat the marshmallow. And, uh, and they, they use this for all kinds of, of things and um, all kinds of studies about how children develop and think. I was watching uh, something on, uh, online the other day, um, a gentleman, Joaquin de Posada, who was sharing about this study and some of the things that his his organization is doing with it. And he said one of the questions he had was, is this something that is only, real, only happens with American children or is it wider spread than that? Is it a universal mindset about how children respond to the marshmallow in front of them? So he said he went to Columbia and he did this study with some children there. And you're going to see in this short clip some of the responses of the children. And uh, it was very funny. I used four, five, and six-year-old kids. And let me show you what happened. Hasta para un niño de cuatro años es atractiva la idea de tener el 100% de retorno a la inversión en 15 minutos. Sin embargo, algunos de ellos, tan pronto la puerta se cerró, se comieron el marshmallow inmediatamente. resistieron el impulso. darling he says it later on in this he says that little girl who was sniffing it all almost hyperventilating doing that he said she ate the middle out of the out of the marshmallow and left the outside so that it looked like she didn't need it 
so she get another one. He said, he said, one of the things they do with this is talk about how successful children will be later on in life. He said, she will be successful, but we better keep our eye on her. <laughs> when I was watching that, I thought to myself, maybe we should give everyone something like a Hershey's kiss when you come into church this morning and say, now don't eat them until after church and see how many are left when we get done. But I decided I wouldn't put you, put that, put you through that. Self-control is hard. You know, it's not just for little children. And as they're doing that, we can picture ourselves with other kinds of things, you know, walking around it, contemplating, trying to figure out how we will respond to what we are pretty sure we're not supposed to do. And isn't that how we typically think of self-control? I mean, self-control is to abstain from things that we shouldn't do. It is to keep a check on our passions. That's what we're talking about with self-control. That's the normal way we think about it. I don't do these things. And I don't do them because they are harmful to me or because they are harmful to other people. And so I, I, I abstain. I keep my passions in check. We see that kind of mindset throughout the scriptures. And it comes out in a variety of ways. I think for a lot of people, the first thing when you think about self-control, it probably goes to, to the area of sensuality or, or sex. And the scripture speaks to that. Just right before he talks about the fruit of the spirit, Paul says that the acts of the sinful nature are immorality, debauchery, impurity, And this is just one place where where the scriptures tell us we need to be self-controlled. We need to keep our passions in check related to sexual things. But it isn't limited to that. It is um, also true about um, things like anger. Where the scripture says that, uh, you know, be angry but don't sin. And keeping our passions in check about anger... As a society and a culture, we, uh, we have pretty strong feelings about people who, who go into a rage and hurt others. We do things to them. We, we prosecute them. Alcohol is another thing that Paul talks about. He says in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And he juxtaposes those two things. Why is that so important? Because when you are filled with wine, when wine is controlling you and you are drunk, you don't know what you're doing. You're no longer able to have any self-control. And people do all kinds of unbelievable things that they would never do without that alcohol in their system. Studies have shown that the great majority of violent crimes in the world are alcohol-related. As that controls and takes over. Food is another issue. We don't like to talk about that as much, but it is. And that may be why fasting can be so important to us. Because it's it's saying, I'm going to control food rather than letting food control me. And it's difficult for us. There are, the thing about this is that At some point, we say self-control is refusing to do what I know will harm me and will harm other people. But it's not limited to just not doing some things. It is also being careful about the things that are good. And a lot of the things even that we try to be careful to abstain from in some degree are good. 
Sex is a gift of God. He just designed it to be within the relationship of marriage. Food is a gift of God. We have to have food. It just tends to control us. Anger is a gift of God. That's why a lot of people act about injustice. And we should be angry about injustice. Most of the time, though, our anger is vengeance. Money, possessions, a great gift from God. And too often, what we own owns us. And it becomes, it becomes something that, that controls us instead of us controlling it. There are all these things that are good, but I would take it one step further. It's not just the things that we recognize. I think it's even things that help us know God. I would say we need to be careful about things like prayer and the reading of Scripture and corporate worship. And you're thinking, whoa, what are are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that sometimes those things can become more important to us than Christ. That those things are supposed to lead us to. We can become so obsessed with getting into another Bible study or going to another prayer thing or coming to another gathering. And it's all about appearances. It's all about being obsessive, compulsive about it. And we walk out no different than we came because it really isn't about Jesus. It's just about making us feel better because we feel more spiritual. Now, should we stop doing those things? Not by any means. But sometimes those things can control us and we become compulsive about them. And instead of them becoming a means to an end of leading us to Christ, they become the end in and of themselves. And we are out of control. But I think if you, if you think about what Paul is saying here in Galatians 5, In one way or another, all of these things that we've talked about in terms of how we think of self-control are agreed upon by our culture and our society. That that we ought to be careful. That we don't want to be obsessive compulsive. We we look at those things and say, yeah, nobody should be that way. and, And we try to avoid that. So what is Paul saying here that comes out of being filled with the Spirit? What is it about leading a life that's led by the Spirit that makes self-control different? Because he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Something about self-control that comes out of our lives through the Spirit has to look different than how everyone else thinks about it. And I think it's this. The spirit-led self-control is actually surrendering ourselves to the control of the spirit. Spirit-led self-control is really surrendering control of ourselves to the spirit. If something of that isn't in Paul's meaning then self-control is just working harder, self-mastery. We are doing things that where we, we can work better, we can work stronger, we, I can do this on my own, I can be the master of this situation and of this problem, I can do it. And it's about us. And so what we have here are nine 
characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, and the first eight of them can only be done by the Spirit, but the ninth one we can do if we just work hard enough. And obviously that's not what Paul is saying to us. He's saying to us, you've got to surrender. You've got to surrender to the Spirit. And instead of trying harder to be more self-controlled, the answer is to surrender to the Spirit and let Him control you. When we read this, this passage from Mark's Gospel about the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, how do I get eternal life? What do I do? And Jesus says... Well, in essence, he's saying, well, how well are you, how good are you at controlling your life? And he said, I've, I've done all these things. I've got, I've got great control over my life. I obey the commandments. I do everything I'm supposed to do. I've, I've got my life under control. And Jesus says, great. One more thing. Give it all away. Let it go. Surrender it. Give it up. And follow me. And this young man, Scripture says, walked away sorrowfully because he had great wealth. And then Jesus goes on to talk to the disciples about how hard it is for people who have stuff to let it go. And you and I have stuff. Might not be material possessions, but we have stuff that we want to control and we want to hang on to. And we think that's good enough. And all the while, the Spirit is saying to us, if you really want to be filled with what I have for you, you got to let it go. Give it up. Release it. That's a struggle for us. Now, I know that, and we've been working with that since the beginning, human beings have. You see it in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. Now, I realize, think, more than likely, that the fruit that Adam and Eve ate was probably not an apple. That seems to be the consensus of most scholars. It probably wasn't an apple. But the apple is so closely connected to that story in culture that when we talked about self-control, it seemed only the right thing to do to choose an apple to represent it. And what does it represent? represents the Spirit saying to Adam and Eve, if you do what you want to do instead of what God wants to do, everything you've been looking for, you'll find it. This will set you free from the bonds that God has put on your life. You don't need God. You eat this fruit, you'll know it all. You'll have everything. You will be able to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. You'll be able to do whatever you want to do. You will have control of your life and you don't need God and all the things he says about controlling your life. You will be free. And what is it we find when they, when they eat the fruit? What is it, what's the first thing that happens when God appears? They are afraid. Fear. Not security. Not self-control, not everything they wanted, the exact opposite. And what they thought was freedom is really ultimate bondage.
And we keep wrestling with it. What we don't like about the way God addresses this issue of control is that we like security. We want things to be lined up perfectly. We want a life where we have all the answers. And God doesn't work that way. In fact, I think it's safe to say God is far less concerned about us feeling good than he is us experiencing the fullness of his spirit. Because we talk about feeling good, we're talking about right now in the moment. Our struggle with self-control. He's talking about bigger things, deeper things, eternal things. We don't like the tension that God allows us so often to live in in this world. We want answers in fact, most, I think most of the habits that we get into are in one way or another related to the stress and the tension and the anxiety that we feel. We think these things will solve that. A drug that makes us feel better or an experience that makes us feel better. Whatever it may be, we think that's going to answer that tension that we feel, that stress we feel. And then too late, we realize what we thought was going to set us free now controls us. But we get just enough of that sense of gratification immediately that we keep going back to it and we can't let it go. And all the while God is saying, surrender. The answer is surrender. It's hard. Mark Laberton in his book, The Dangerous Act of Worship, tells about a guy coming to his office. One day, he's, Mark's a pastor, was a Presbyterian church in Berkeley, California. The guy came to his office uh, because he and his wife had been having late night conversations about her newfound faith. And uh, this guy came and he said to Mark, look, you know, we're having these conversations. I don't get all of it. So I'm, I'm busy. I'm successful. I've got a lot of stuff going on. So what I need you to give me in a nutshell what this Christian thing is about. Just give me the bullet points. And... <laughs> Mark said, I could have given him pamphlets, I could have given him books, I could have, he said, but I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, instead, I said to him, look, I'm not going to give you those things that you think you want. I'm not going to do it. He said, why? He said, because if I gave you those bullet points, if I talked to you about what Christian, Christian faith is in a nutshell, and you really thought about it, it would rock your world. And it would transform. You'd have to think so differently about how you do your work, how you live at home, how you live your life every day, everything that you do, your relationships, everything about your life would change. And I don't really think you want that to happen, do you? I said, no, I don't. I said, exactly. And the guy said, well, you know, maybe we could talk about that. And see, you and I are that same way. We want to talk a lot about God. We want to talk about a lot about following God. But when push comes to shove, we want to control. We are control freaks. Here's the dirty little secret about the Christian faith. So is God. And he's bigger than we are. And he's more about that than we are. 
And ultimately, it comes down to really what Lewis said in The Great Divorce. In the world, is two kinds of people. People who say to God, your will be done, and people to whom God says, your will be done. We either grab control or we let go of control. And ultimately, we are able to let go of control because the one to whom we are surrendering loves us. The one to whom we're surrendering says to us through the prophet Jeremiah that he spoke to the exiled Israelites, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you. Not to harm you, but to do good to you. And I know sometimes it doesn't seem that way. When all the chaos of life feels out of control, when you feel tension and stress, and I'm not giving you all the answers that you want, it feels like everything's out of control. And in those moments, the the temptation is to grasp it. God says, let go. It's important to, to plan, to prepare, to think about life, of course, but we hold everything loosely when we surrender to God. Because ultimately, our self-surrender, our self-control is rooted in God's self-control. In the pages of Scripture, you look at almost every page of Scripture and you will see God practicing self-control. Abraham and Sodom and that whole story of, of God saying, that's enough and I'm, I'm going to, I need to destroy this city because of the evil they're doing in the world. And, and Abraham says, what if there are 50 people there who are good? God says, okay, I'll spare them. And 45, I'll spare them. 40, I'll spare them. 30, 20, 10, I'll spare them. Because God is always thinking about control, relenting. Jonah and the Ninevites he sent, God sends Jonah and he says, in 30 days, you guys are toast. And they repent and God says, that's what I wanted. And he stops his punishment. And Jonah's irritated because he wants to see some people fry. God wants to see them repent. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus and disciples are going into a Samaritan village and the village rejects them and says, we don't want you and your kind here. And, and James and John, they don't call them the sons of thunder for nothing, say to Jesus, you want us, to, we should pray down God's fire on this village and wipe it out? I can see Jesus, a smile on his face saying, guys, 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 that's not how we do things. How many times do I have to tell you? And ultimately, as Jesus hangs on the cross and his enemies berate him and mock him and degrade him, the most natural response would be, just wait till you guys get yours. And instead, he says, Father, forgive them. Did he have a right to do whatever to those people? Of course he did. But his loving heart chose something else. And you and I are called over and over again not to a life that's necessarily safe but to a life of trust that is good that meets that deepest yearning 
in our souls that we were created to experience. I was in the prayer room one night this week. I I like going late at night. Things are quiet and it's just a stillness in the room in the church. And when I go, I often like to listen to music to sort of bring myself into that time of prayer to prepare myself to, to speak to God and to listen to God. And I grabbed a CD and I put it in the machine and it was playing some music and a song came, along, came on that I hadn't heard for quite some time. It was one of the old spirituals. And I, I listened to this song and, and I began to ponder the slaves who, whose whole life was about being controlled by other people. I mean, everything about their existence was the control of other people on them. And yet, in the midst of that circumstance, the Christian slaves could sing this song. And the more I pondered that, the more I realized that God was speaking into my heart about all the ways in which I want to control and all the ways in which I want to to be in charge and hearing his call once again to let go and to surrender. And it's, the song's just been going through my mind over and over this whole week. And God's been using it to speak to me. And maybe it'll be a word to you too. In the morning. When I rise in the morning, when I rise in the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when I am alone, Oh, and when I am alone, when I am alone, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. world, but give me Jesus. Give 
When I come to die And when I come to die And when I come to die Give me Jesus Give me Jesus Give me Jesus You can have all this world You can have all this world You can have all this world But give me Jesus Father, in this moment of silence Hear our prayers. Speak into our lives. Father, we thank you for your spirit and the work of your spirit in us. Give us grace to continually surrender all that we are to you that we might know the joy of you controlling our lives and we ask this through Jesus Amen I want to give you opportunity again to respond today whatever God may be saying to you there are cards at the ends of each row outside and inside make sure everybody gets one of those whatever God may be saying to you encourage you to write it on the card today Let's commit to five minutes of prayer each day, asking God to, to bring self-control out of our lives. And the elders are downstairs. If anyone would like to, if you'd like to have them pray with you, talk with you, listen to you, they're there. As we prepare to, to go from this place, I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing together the closing hymn, as we commit once again to our lives, to the control of Christ. Let's stand as we sing.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.